Thank you for joining us. My name is Kareem Kanji, and this is episode 30. Uh, today, we welcome to the Agurth Radio Studios uh, J.D. Bunkus. Uh, J.D. is a producer uh, for the Andrew Walker Show on the Fan 590 uh, here in Toronto. Uh, the Fan 590 is the all-sports uh, radio uh, here in Toronto. And he's also the co-host of Free Association, which is a podcast and also now a radio show on the Fan 590. We talk about uh, JD's uh, rise uh, within the Sportsnet slash Fan 590 uh, family and uh, his current work now with the Andrew Walker Show. Uh, and we also talk uh, a lot about uh, basketball and the uh, Raptors season in 2016. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. interesting story i actually ended up watching like the full two hours of wani do his like mma hour which has never been an hour it's like three hours or something yeah it was so long it was two hours i think almost that i ended up watching and it was like almost it was pretty repetitive but he keeps i was like this is really talent like this is real talent you can just talk on your own for like a two-hour stretch and like tell a story that was cohesive and made sense i couldn't do that i (laughs) Of course, who can? That's what I mean. I'm like, is he going to get a guy that's going to come talk to him or ask him some questions about this, or is he just going to keep rambling? And I stayed intrigued the entire time. Like, normally, like, even sometimes, I'm not saying he could do it, like, always. Obviously, this was, like, a special case, but I was like, even sometimes I listen to, like, Colin Coward, and I'm like, how do you do this on your own? But he's got his press credentials back. Right. Yeah, he did. He got them back today. Yeah. So, like, apparently the UFC, well, I saw it. They issued a press release, Okay. and they didn't mention him by name. They okay. just said uh, MMAfighting.com will continue to receive press credentials, although we don't like their shady tactics, which is really weak because he's just a reporter doing his job. Yeah. So, I don't know. I found that pretty weird. Well, he's a very influential reporter. Very. He's got like 152,000 Twitter followers or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. he's probably, I mean, unless you count Joe Rogan, he's probably the most influential, like, media member covering the UFC right now. Like, yeah. he's a guy that people, that was the weird thing about his. Uh, about his, I guess, not podcast, but his show, was that he revealed that he had, at one point, taken money from Zufa. So it was, like, obviously a conflict of interest. Like, it was from Fox. Apparently, they Fox had to pay Zufa in order to pay him, and he didn't want to take it, but he did. So it's just, like, even then, it's, like, it's tough to really recognize journalists that cover. There's Kevin Ioli of Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's not too many guys where you're, like, oh, like, what he says, like, I'm going to trust that. Yeah. And that's not just, like, a PR team, like, an extension of the UFC's PR, so. Interesting. Yeah, it was a really cool story. Like, uh, too bad because I really like the UFC. Yeah. Now you worked with Showdown Joe. You produced some of his stuff. No, I like I barely knew Showdown. That oh was no the way! Thing. It was like yeah. So like he was like his time. We lost the UFC rights almost like 
at the same time I came in. Okay. So, like, we didn't have very much crossover. So, how did you guys to, connect, or where did you connect? Uh, little, I used to book him for, like, the. F- I first started producing, like, radio okay. shows at night. Okay. That was, like, kind of my first, like, I don't know, s- serious gig at the fans. So, yeah. I used to book him for shows to talk UFC. And okay. we'd talk a little bit, and I'd, I was always interested in UFC, so I'd always want to, like, chat for a little bit. Nice. And I guess, like, he listened, he, he would listen to me do hits on Blundell, and then he reached out. Ah. Um... You studied law. Yeah, Carlton. Carlton. It's like an undergraduate degree. Undergraduate. Undergraduate degree. How the heck do you go from studying law to then deciding to do sports journalism? Uh, Or was there a weird connection that you hoped to one day be a sports agent or something like that? No, actually. I just, uh, when I was at school, I ended up spending a lot of time uh, listening to the fan. I loved Hockey Central at noon. I used to listen to that all the time. Uh, that is so cool. Yeah, I, and I just got re- like I, I ended up spending so much time reading sports, watching sports, and I wa- really wasn't passionate about going to law school. The idea of like another four or five years of schooling was not the most uh, intriguing to me, especially considering that I didn't really love the subject matter. I didn't have a, a real passion for it, and I'm glad I actually took the undergraduate degree and. Uh, that I did because it kind of uh, what's, what's the word it kind of snuffed that out that okay. I wasn't super passionate law guy yeah. I always thought like basically you know how when you're a kid and someone's like you're you're a really good talker uh, you're gonna you should be a lawyer and I was terrible at math so I was like okay <laughs> I, be- I better like uh, I-, I better find a way to use speaking to make a career yeah and finally once it came time to applying to law schools I was very much my mom. She's uh, always been really influential in my life. She's a guidance counselor. She was. She used to be a vice principal, but she ended up being a guidance counselor later okay. in her career. And she looked into a couple of other options. I just said, if I don't want to go to law school, yeah. what could I do? And she found a, a sports journalism program at Centennial College. And at first, I kind of thought, that's really a pipe dream. Like, that's really something where I doubt that makes any real careers. So I was like, most people that get jobs in sports are former athletes or people that are from yeah. the business. So yeah. I, I thought that that was kind of a really quite a big reach. But there were so many credentialed people that were a part of the program, I decided to give it a shot. I was like, okay, this is only a year program. It's a fast track. If it ends up being a disaster, I'll, I'll, I'll leave. And I remember going to the school for, I guess not the, uh, for the first meet and greet for, a th- you had to take a test. Oh, to, to get into the school? Oh yeah, you had to, oh, it wasn't wow. automatic because the class is only 30 people, right? Okay. So they have all these applicants and, you had to fill out the application and go so down. What do they school. What do they test you on? Like Honestly, sports questions. When are the leaves last? Little, the cup a little or? bit. Yeah, was, <laughs> that one would have been pretty easy. But uh, no, yeah, they kind of set you down. They gave you a couple of sheets and then they timed you out. Uh, you had to have some type of passion for sports and, and for journalism. They okay. didn't want just, I guess, people coming in that had no base knowledge. You had yeah. to have a degree, okay, because uh, it was a post grad program. Okay, and then you had to take a, a test. And I remember going down there and thinking. They they kind of they kind of hyped it up. I'm not gonna I, like the program is great. Yeah, yeah. It did a lot for me, but they definitely when I first got there, they were like, you know, there's so many submissions, and I remember leaving there thinking, there's no way I'm gonna get in here. And then right away, I got a call like a couple months later. <laughs> they were like, you're in, you're into the school. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And everyone that I tested with uh, was there. Pretty much, I think one or two people weren't, but yeah. the, f- the few people that I tested with were there. So nice. I don't know about how many applicants there really were. So you graduate from there, and do you go straight to, like, where, where do you go next? Yeah, I went to the fan because I met Ryan Walsh. He was a teacher at 
Uh, he was the producer of Primetime Sports at the time. Okay. Bob McCowan. Yeah. He was a teacher there, and I got along really well with him. Uh, I really enjoyed his class. He he did a class on interviewing and radio, stuff kind of like that, working on roundtables, doing things of that nature. And I found myself really comfortable in that atmosphere. I got along great with him. And at the end of the program, they part of part of the course is at the end you have to get an internship, just like most are. Sure, you go sure. into the field and you do some field work, I guess, for uh, for a couple of months. Uh, originally, I thought I was actually going to go out of market because I wanted to be on air. Uh, my oh, right away. Yeah, my original yeah. when I came to school, I was thinking I, I want to be a host of a sports center type of show. That cool. was my original goal i was like that would be great hosting a highlight show being on a desk a news desk reading news and and making it kind of in front of of the camera yeah making it kind of fun like your own like i really liked jay and dan i thought they were great yeah i thought i used to watch it and say i think i can do this like i think that's something i could probably do um but i met ryan and he was pretty he was pretty awesome in terms of guiding me out of the gate there was a lot of people that were great there that really influenced me shy davidi was great he taught me uh, oh he was there yeah he was our writing instructor and and i got along Mm. really great with shy he was very influential i I was kind of divided between whether or not i was going to write or whether i was going to go into radio and i just felt like at the time radio was the fit for me that made most sense if i was going to do on-air television stuff everyone kind of told me you have to leave you have to leave you you got to get out of the city you You have to go to a small market. market and work your way up. That's the way everybody did it. That's the template. And the the thing that Ryan kind of helped me out with was he told me, listen, I think that you have a sound that might work in the city. It's not going to happen overnight for you, but I think if you grind it out here, or at least you give it a shot here, you might be pleasantly surprised kind of with what happens for you. Nice. And so I, I went to the fan. Yeah. Uh, I w- interned there for uh, quite a while. This was before they had... The laws. The, yeah, before they had the laws, <laughs> which is probably good they have the laws, although it kind of sucks because I wouldn't have my job there if those laws were in place. Yeah. Because I stayed there for longer than three months. I think I stayed on as an intern for about eight months. I had reached kind of the, the threshold for me being What an are you intern. doing as an intern? Uh, I did I, – I started – you start off at basically in a bullpen with audio editors. It was at the 323 Bloor building. You start okay. off, you come in, and you're just like a nobody. Like, let's be honest. Someone comes in, and they're like the head of the interns – and they tell you... There's a head of interns. Well, yeah, someone... <laughs> it's basically an audio editor, someone that's not making very much money, and they're, they're kind of... An, you're an added responsibility of theirs, but you're also going to kind of take work off their plate because you're going to cut highlights, audio highlights. Okay. So they bring you in a room with a few other interns uh, and, a, and a wonderful man named Jazz Mangat who, who still that works That name there. rings a bell. Yeah, Jazz Mangat is basically the captain of the ship at the fan. He's pretty much the... I mean, we, we joke a lot at work that Bob McCowan is probably the most indispensable person at the fan, and then Jazz Mangat's probably number two. So that's two. the truth. It's not just a, a uh, thing that people say. No, it's truth. Jazz basically is the only one that knows how all that stuff, how everything works. He's the number one problem solver. If you ever have a problem, it's ask Jazz. That's your first go-to step. I feel bad because he's such a nice guy. He'll always help you, and he's so busy, but he tries to pretend like it's no bother to him at all. Really nice guy. The total sweetheart. So you're in a room, you're there with Jazz, you're there with a couple of other interns and an audio editor, and whoever used to be changing over, they used to have producers in there that were working on their shows, kind of putting their lineups together and and working with their hosts. Remember, we used to be in the old studios on 333, not in the new one that, that's at One Mount Pleasant. Still yeah. part of that same big Rogers building. But you're kind of in this whole mix of people, yeah. and it's kind of a... 
I don't know. I think that I was always kind of raised with the whole thing. If you're in a new place, kind of speak when spoken to. You're not going to all of a sudden just jump right in and start telling everyone your sports opinions. That's always the worst look an intern can have, right? Like if you come into a room full of sports professionals yeah. and they're having a discussion, don't butt in and, and start telling people what you think about that. If someone, if they're joking around, it's funny in the room, like read the room type of situation, right? Yeah. So I, don't know, I was quiet at first and I kind of kept my head down, cut clips. Um, I'm trying to figure out kind of how I got my reporting break. One, I remember the first guy I interviewed seriously, but I'm trying to think of how that happened. I think I just kind of kept working hard and asking for more opportunities and never said no. Whenever now you're they working like me. literally 24 seven there. You're coming in. No, I was you coming. Can. You'd come in and you'd do shifts. So they, they'd buy, you'd either do a shift that was in the day. Yeah. Uh, from like you would do, I think it was from eight thirty or nine to five and then five, the five o'clock interns come in and they finish the off the, the rest of the night. There used to be more interns because there was just... Sure. Yeah, exactly. I think that because because places like the fan radio stations like that, they're so limited in terms of their ability to hire, I think that some of them have been shied away from going to a radio station to intern. But when I was there, I kind of just kept asking for more stuff to do. I kept trying to meet people that were a little bit higher than me, asking them, hey, the, the, the carrot that used to be dangled was Blue Jays games. They said, if you did great work you would get to go and work as the, you'd get to job shadow Blue Jays games as a reporter. And so I was very interested in that, so I kept working hard to get that. But then somehow, I don't know, I just started getting things. Like I got to interview Steven Stamkos down at an event. I, used, I, get to, I went to Greg Zahn's charity and got to interview, I mean, Damon Allen, and mm -hmm. uh, I was supposed to do uh, Jake Gardner. There was a few guys down there. So I started doing stuff like that. And then ultimately, basketball was always kind of my forte. Yeah. And they used to keep me as the fill-in guy for the away team's locker room. So I started getting to go to NBA games and started going to, like, I, I remember I went and saw I, LeBron James in the, in the Heat. Like, right, I was at the game where they tied the, uh, the consecutive or the second most consecutive wins record with uh, the Houston Rockets. I can't remember how many games it was exactly right now. It's, it's bugging me. I'm trying to think how many games was it? It was like 30 plus or whatever. They, I, I sat down, I was in that locker room. I used to get to go to games and I would interview coaches and I would always try to get a one-on-one. -on -one. So I would always wait. I'd do the scrums, I'd get the audio I needed, but I really knew basketball, I was very confident with it. So I would wait around or I'd go up to the lesser players, less star players, and ask them if I could get a few minutes. And I started putting together a reporting reel. And I just kept working, working, working at it and doing demos and giving them to Dave Cadeau, who at the time was the assistant program director, now is the program director at the fan. And I think that he was... It's like building your audio resume. Yeah, and, and he was very on top of seeing how hard I was working. Like it's he, amazing. He kept telling me, like, listen, when a spot opens up here, we're going to take you in, and, and we're going to... We like you here. They, with, without so much saying, we're going to hire you, they did. Yeah. So when the, when the job came open, the first job I ever had at the fan was morning audio editor, which was like coming into work for 5.30 a.m. and cutting, oh. hi, like cutting the interviews from the morning show. And I didn't stay very long on that because I, I didn't. I, I wanted to be part of something. Like I wanted to be making content, creating content. And okay. this was kind of more of a. I, I was doing whatever again. I was just like, give me more. And they yeah. tasked me with doing stuff for the Facebook page. So they were like, hey, make. So I used to at the end of my shift like make, uh, what is it? Photoshop things for the Facebook page. And I was I got pretty frustrated with it quick. I want to say I lasted as the morning audio editor for like three months before I said like, hey. Uh, give me some producing. Like, let me see what this is all about. Yeah. And, and I, 
I kind of started to love it right away. So that's how I kind of ended up producing. And was was the Andrew Walker your first producer? No, no. I worked on night shows for a, like for a year and a half. I want to say or maybe like yeah, about a year and a half. So basically, the station has its staple shows from the morning show at five thirty until Bob McCowan ends at seven. Yeah. And then there's content that fills the rest of the time, which is your weekend and your evening programming. So I produce things from Blue Jays games, Raptors games. Leaf Games, Sportsnet Tonight. I worked with a litany of hosts, Roger Lejoie, yeah, uh, one of my favorites to work with, uh, Jeff Samet. Um, who else did I work with that night? Ben Ennis, uh, George Russick before he got the morning show gig. There used to be a show with Jeff Samet and George Russick before he went to the morning show. Yeah. And I was pretty regularly working with George and, and Jeff. What is it to be a producer? Like, what, do you, what is a producer doing? So, I, I mean, there's kind of a lot of different things a producer does, but I would say... Ultimately, uh, you're in charge of a, a what, the main thing you're in charge of is booking guests. Okay. It's making sure that you have guests for the show and guests for your hosts that are relevant, make sense, and that and that are that are going to help your hosts tell the story of what people care about in your market. So that's probably number one. I think for myself, I didn't want to just book guests, and I made that pretty apparent from the beginning. Yeah, that I had opinions and I had stories to offer, and I was. I think some guys could kind of get stuck with producing shows and they're just like, okay, I need a Leafs guest. I need a Jays guest. I need a Raptors guest. I need a, a you know, for a week, a golf guy. Yeah. I need a general hockey guy. And they just, they're just trying to fill slots. Yeah. They just want to fill time. And I never looked at it that way. I was like, this is an opportunity. You get to create content in a major market and no, they're not the big shows that you're doing at night, mm -hmm. but I have a chance here because there's nobody else is really showing a ton of interest in, in creating more content or having more ideas pumped into the show that I started kind of letting my voice be heard and, and talking with talent and saying, this is what I think we should do, be doing. And this is the, the way that I think we should approach the story. And I think that we should be getting fan opinions on these things. And I think that we should be, I think this is the guest for this reason, not just because he talks about Leafs, but because he's good on air and he wrote this thing or, or he said this thing in this place and it would be great to get his perspective because he played on this team or whatever have you. So putting a lot of attention to smaller details of what guests are really going to make your show better hmm. and how to attack the airwaves with strength, with purpose. And I think that was kind of what was really fun about that in the beginning was not only getting to just book guests, but having a real say in terms of what the content was going to be in those night shows. I got a, I got a lot of room to grow there. It was it was great for me. So you're not just giving your host, let's say the Roger Roger Lejoie, um, you know, here's a guest for when you talk Leafs or hockey or whatever. No. It's hey Rog, I well, I've got so and so coming on. Yeah. Hey, he just tweeted this or he just wrote yep. about this. He gave an interview and he talked about that. I think that'd be great to bring up. For sure. That's very interesting. different talent. You do you tr always have to treat differently, right? Sure. Like sure. a guy like. I worked with Jeff Samet for a long time, and he was very receptive to my ideas early, which was great because some guys, you know, some guys just kind of want to do their own thing, and they don't really care, and they're kind of checked out. They've been with the business for a long time, and they don't really care. Um, Jeff was really great because we kind of worked as a team early on. He respected the things I had to say and, and what I wanted to do, and, and he always kind of recognized that this was kind of just a, uh, a pit stop for me and not somewhere that I was going to end up kind of bogged down. Okay. So he was great at letting me kind of control a lot of what we were doing, and I thought we really worked well together. He, uh, 
he's no longer with the fan, but I really enjoyed time I spent with Jeff Samet. He was a great guy. And Roger Lajoie, same thing, where Raj always kind of respected what I was doing, but I would always kind of like lessen the reins a little bit more with Raj because he's 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 more of a guy that has been do- he's he's got his personality and the show he's doing down to his science. Yeah. And I would I would always write questions for Raj and he would always be receptive to the ideas you would give or or the guests you would want. But again, you you know how to treat guys differently and it was a less of a collaboration when I worked with him as opposed to when I worked with Jeff. Interesting. So I think that I mostly worked with Jeff. That was the main show. Yeah. They'd come on after Jay's games and those could be a grind, man. Like you're you're in after a Jay's game after Jay's talk. And it's like you're doing That's a show. Late at night. Yeah, it's starting at eleven and going till two and you have one host. And you don't want to do all pre tapes because that kind of burns out the show. So sometimes you pre tape guests and, and air them later on the show, right? Because okay. it's tough to get late night guys. So yeah. you'd have to be really creative in, in who you were going to get on and, and try to build some relationships for people that you'd be like, hey, man, I know this is kind of a pain for you to come on at one in the morning on a Wednesday, but could you do it <laughs> like for wow. me this time? Yeah. So a lot of it was relationship building, a lot of it was just like knowing who works, who fits. Some days you just you had no control, you just had to. You had to run with the fly. I remember so many times, and that's still with my job now as a producer. You wake up in the morning, and you're like, uh, do you ever watch Family Guy? Yeah. Do you know that bit where it's like they're, they're about to play in a band, and they're like, one, two, one, two, three. Oh, crap, we don't know any, we don't know any songs. <laughs> Some days you wake up, and you're like, oh, crap, don't have any guests. Like, don't have anything lined up. Don't have any ideas. I've, I've tried so many avenues, and nothing's gone my way. But generally, like, everything's kind of fallen into place, but... Yeah, you, you, I mean, you got to create content. You got to meet people in the business, talk to people in the business, make shows, and, and find out kind of how to have a blueprint of how you go on the radio and do a three-hour show or do a four-hour show. I've produced five-hour shows on weekends, like long weekends where people are like at the cottages and you have to get so creative. So I think that doing those shows really when you step into a day show and you had more power in terms of ability to get guests or ability to really um, go bigger with your stories and, and with your narratives, yeah. it really helped me having the background of saying, hey, like I, I've got this experience to rely back on, and if I could do it, I, if I could do that with this, I can do this with that a lot more. Walk me through when you were working with Jeff Samet late nights. Um, after Jay's game, after Jay's talk, let's say maybe it starts at 11, 11.30. Yeah. Um, what time are you, what time do you start prepping? I think, I know this is going to sound really lame. Yeah. But you're kind of always prepping. Yeah. That's part of the gig of being in this business nowadays, especially as a producer, is that you don't, like, I never, whenever I go on Twitter, it's for fun. Like, it's, I got into this business because it's a passion for me, so there's that. But there's also really no downtime. You're not really ever looking at Twitter and being like, oh, that's neat. Scroll through. Ignore. Let that factoid simmer in the back of your head. There's always that part of you that sees something and you're like, that, that's that could cool. Be a story. That, that could be, be a guy. Interview. That yeah. could be a guy. Like, that's why like, if you look at my Twitter account, like, I follow a few thousand people. Yeah. And it's because like, I'll see different people on Twitter and follow them and say, you know, maybe this person down the line is going to tweet something or say something or have an opinion that I think would be good for a show. And it has a jumping off point, at least for me to be inserted into their, their thought process. Interesting. And so I think that, I mean, prepping your show guest wise, some day, some guys you book well in advance, you're trying to, if you're thinking of people that are very busy and that are not a general beat guy or a, a radio uh, someone that's paid by the station or paid by Sportsnet, 
you really want to try to think in advance because if it's a big enough name, then you can always fit them in, right? So if you can get Wayne Gretzky, for example, you work as far in advance as they need. Right now on the Walker Show, we're trying to get Jen Welter. She's the first uh, female assistant coach, right? If you remember yes. from, from last season, I'm, I'm trying to get her on the show. And I don't really have a concrete timeline for her right now, but I just know that she's a really interesting person. She's got a great story to tell. She's yeah. working with the Atlanta Falcons, and she's working with the NFL right now. And I think it would be great to have her on the show. We'll fit her in as we can. The tough part is sometimes breaking news happens. It blows it up. That's the worst thing. When yeah. you work forever in advance and then something happens and you have to do what's called blowing up a show yeah. or you have to just ditch all your guests and go with the hot story of the yeah. day for the entire thing, like you know the Jays trade for David Price, for example. Yeah. That happened 10 minutes before the Walker show started. I had to cancel Masai Ujiri right off the top oh, of my right. show. And I'm a huge basketball guy, and he was in Africa doing Giants of Africa, so it was this whole ordeal where we're trying to figure out the phone he's going to use and the time of day. He's so busy. Like, Masai Ujiri is... Yeah. I, I don't even know how he functions properly because the guy is always working. He's legitimately trying to, like, raise up his, his country, his nation through yeah. sport while running a basketball team and having a family. It's incredible. Like, I, I can't manage having a job... And a girlfriend. Like, yeah. That's too much for me. That's, I'm, way, I'm way too stressed out. I panic. I blow it. So to, to have to cancel someone like that who's got a busy day, it sucks. But it, you have to do it with breaking news. So basically, though, most of your guests are booked the night or two, two or a night beforehand and yeah. then some during the day. Again, you, can't, you can only control what you know, right? You're a sports sure. show, especially at night. It was a lot later because you're reacting to the things that happen in the day. You, can't, you can anticipate some of it. You can say, okay, the Leafs played earlier tonight, so we should probably have a Leafs guest off the top to break down the game. Yeah. Or we're coming off of an hour of Blue Jays talk. Maybe we're not going to start off with Blue Jays right away, seeing as that's what just happened. Or maybe we are because it's hot and it's the middle of summer and that's all that's going on. Yeah. So part of your prep is done the day of as a reactionary show at night, and then part of your prep is done well in advance. And I think that anyone worth their salt that's a producer is kind of thinking of the show and working all the time even when i go up for a cottage weekend and sure. I'm, I'm drinking and i'm having fun i'd run into the cottage my phone's off and i'll turn it on for a quick second check a couple of emails just make sure nothing crazy's happened and then go back down to the beach yeah. not you know, kill myself but still stay connected to some some degree and then always always kind of be thinking that's neat um when did you when did you move off late nights um, I started producing uh, then Brady and Walker a little over a year ago, about a year and okay. three months, I want to say. That's when I started doing that show. Nice. Brady, he's, he's, he's got a wealth of experience. Tons. Yeah. Um, I learned a ton from Greg Brady. I think that's the cool thing about this business is you get to meet so many. You get to work and meet with so many people, and there's so many talented people that work at Sportsnet. I still... I joke all the time with uh, my colleague, Andrew Walker, that, yeah. you know, we work with Stephen Brunt. He does the show right before us. I used to grow up reading Stephen Brunt, yeah. and I read his books, and, and I, uh, he's someone I really revere. And sometimes, you know, you'll talk with him as a colleague, and then he'll walk away, and it's just like, that was Stephen that's Brunt. Stephen Brunt. You still get, <laughs> like, I don't really get starstruck so yeah. much by athletes. I, I think I used to at the very beginning, where, I'd, like, I remember going into the Miami Heat's locker room seeing... Shane Battier was actually the guy that really, I was like, whoa, Shane Battier, because I watched him in college, and I yeah. watched his whole career, and he was just a guy I've seen forever. And I was like, there he is in person. Crazy. Um, 
But sometimes you see people in media that you really kind of idolize in a different way and you respect so much. And now you do the you do work. Maybe not the same. Like, I'm not a writer like Steven. I never could be. Yeah. But you're still working in the same medium. And it's kind of surreal sometimes to be like, damn, this guy who I respect so much works on a show a couple of hours before me. It's not. Yeah. It's Jeff Blair. Same thing. So uh, guys who I grew up reading. But, yeah, Greg, Greg's a totally experienced broadcaster, a total pro. It was a it was a pretty heavy shock when he wasn't with the show anymore. Yeah, um, it was like it took Andrew and I a couple of weeks of preparing our new show and and kind of reeling through what had happened. I think it was. I don't think it's anything about Greg. I think it's a sign of the the business as it is right now. And you saw all the layoffs that happened in, in different businesses, and it, <laughs> and it was really hard to lose him because he's an idea generator. He's a guy who comes into work every single day and has just idea upon idea upon idea it's it's incredible he's he's just a fountain of just more and more content it's it's nuts he's he could he can just go on forever we used to fight because he'd have so many ideas that you'd try to trim some down and he's yeah. he stands by he's passionate about the things he talks about which makes him such a great broadcaster that you know we'd end up having basically like yelling matches in our in our <laughs> in our newsroom over what we could and couldn't do that day. So, yeah, yeah no, he's uh, yeah, very experienced guy and a, and a great guy to work with. I Honestly, I have nothing but positive things to say about Greg Brady. I'd love to get inside and, and know someone like a Bob McCown. Um, we all would. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you, is, so is he the money? Like, is he, is he considered the guy who brings in the money? Is, is he, like, the, I think he's the cer- top? I think he's certainly the face of the Fan 590. Yeah. I think there's no question about that. Yeah. Look at his track record. I mean, over 30 years in the business. Yeah. A guy that I think the crazy, the, the amazing thing about Bob is that over all these years, he's basically like the Mike Francesa of Toronto, where if something happens major in the market, especially like, you know, Muhammad Ali just passed away. Yeah. And there was one show I really wanted to listen to, and that was Primetime Sports. Yeah. No offense to any of the other shows. They all did a great job, and, and I listened to the station the entire Monday and the Friday after he passed away. We didn't. It was tough because our shows didn't – we had to wait a couple of days before you know, our show yeah, and Bob's yeah. show could, could have a real reaction to it on air. But Bob still has that. The Blue Jays make a major trade. You know, they're, they're in the playoffs. What do you want to listen to? Bob McCowan. You wanna, Bob is the hammer. He's never going to be afraid to say anything. You know that what he, say, what he says isn't filtered by anyone. He's got a ton of pull. He's he's an incredible broadcaster. He's he's by, he's for sure the I would say the king of the fan. There's yeah. there's no question about it. He's he's the face. Um, is there a is there a unwritten written rule that you don't critique uh, the teams that Rogers owns, or no. is there a line? No, that's honestly it's it's so funny. You you can't. You can't win with that stuff, but I I swear. Although this is what a, this is what a <laughs> Rogers liar would say. I'd be yeah. like, uh, I swear that this is not true. And then like yeah. a I spill this beer and yeah. some microchip goes off. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy because I think that you always just like any business where you're on air, you always have to be careful with what you say. You can't just go on and and roast people without having any real foundation to do it. We're not in the especially our show, is not really in the business of just having a hot take. We're not just going to have a take to have it or blast someone because of that or praise someone because we feel that way, right? Yeah. And I think that it's funny because, you know, I do this show with Andrew. It's basically the two of us, me and Andrew Walker. 
and we come in every day and, and he fills me in on his opinions. We usually argue and then we we mash a show together full of uh opinions that we create. And and never once have we had a show that Andrew and I said to each other, well, you know, we shouldn't say that because of Rodgers and, you know, the Blue Jays. If there's a reason to be critical about one of the teams, mm-hmm. you're damn sure that we're going to be critical about th- what the team has done. There's no question about that. I mean, I- I'm trying to think of it's people want blood on everything, right? For example, David Price, when David Price left, sure, they people were so angry at Rogers because there were people going on radio and saying that he never had a chance of staying in Toronto. And they're like, well, how do you know that? They're so mad. They're so outraged. They're just like, they didn't even offer him a contract. It's because the guy was getting $211 million, and they just didn't have the budget to do that. They weren't going to allocate assets to a pitcher that was 30 years old. And now if you look at it, I mean, it ended up being pretty smart because Happ and Estrada have been fantastic, and they cost less than what David Price makes this season. But... If you're an educated sports guy and you really want to do a good show, you have to be true to what you think and what you believe in. And, and that was – so, for example, that day, yeah, some people could have hot-taked it and gone on air and just said, it's a joke that a multimedia company like Rogers with all their millions and billions of dollars doesn't just sack up the money and pay this guy because fans love him. There's more to it, and, and you owe your audience honesty. You owe your audience the way you really feel about something. Yeah. I think there have been other days where, you know – teams or players or management or whatever have made mistakes and we've been critical of them too so i I think there's zero mandate it's totally a myth especially when it comes to broadcasters you're not the things you're not allowed to do on air are swear and really run people down like personally and that's just a bad look anyways you're not going to really do that right you're not Mm -hmm. in the business of doing that but in terms of being critical of the teams no, that's never a mandate. But it's like right now, the where we're at, like the Blue Jays have been red hot. Yeah, they just went on a magical run, and now they've won I think five or six series in a row. They're playing great. Their pitching's been great. The hitting's looking like it's starting to come around. Well, there's not a ton to be too critical of there. You can look at maybe like Russell Martin's contract or how Tulowitzki's worked out so far. But we talk about those things, like we talk about those things on our show always. So. Yeah. I mean, the Raptors went farther than they've ever gone into the Eastern Conference final. Like, they won two games, for God's sakes. It's yeah. incredible. There's not a ton to be critical of there, but people are still questioning whether or not they should sign DeMar DeRozan. It's not like an open and shut thing. With where... It's going to be interesting because whatever they do with DeRozan, there's not going to be one opinion that's going to go across the board from all these people that's yeah. going to be like, okay, guys, this is the opinion we have today. It's like, no, we... we come into work we formulate opinions amongst each other like a guy like guys like andrew and i are our friends we talk we watch games together we formulate these opinions uh most of them are his on the show and he goes with them there's no filtration process other than myself to him sometimes saying i don't think we should say that and it's never because of rogers i think it's because i think you're wrong andrew and then he <laughs> says no i'm i'm right and it's gotten me this far so leave me alone and then we'll sit there in silence for like i don't know 15 20 seconds and then start talking about the next thing so that's kind of how how did uh, free association came, come about that's your podcast yeah. on basketball yeah and it's it's also on the fan too now it's uh, okay yeah it's it's on uh, tuesdays usually at 11 right now it's now it's kind of a floating schedule because sure. the season's over, so we don't have the exact uh, timeline. It came together uh, with uh, Sportsnet Magazine side, uh, the NBA editor there, Dave Zaram, um, John Grigg, the managing editor of the magazine, 
and then Dave Cadeau, the program director um, of the Fan 590, and they kind of wanted to start making a podcast network, similar to kind of what you see at The Ringer right now, where there were different podcasts for different sports done by Sportsnet. And they originally asked me, because I was a basketball guy, to produce yeah. it. The broadcast crew was not originally with me. I right away said to Dave, I know probably a bit out of hand, that I felt like I could host it. Like I felt like this was a chance for me to get back into doing on-air stuff. I hadn't really done a lot of on-air. It was something I pursued early on, but producing was great for me, and, and I really fell into it, so... I stopped really pursuing reporting, especially considering, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to crap on the industry, but I think that a couple things that are dying a little bit are reporters and radio. They're yeah. kind of losing because you don't really need one. You can use a television reporter on a radio show. They can come on and, and give you the same kind of thing. Sure. A lot of times reporters are just kind of going and sticking in. Like they're not writing a story off of the reason why they're down there, right? Like we didn't even send a reporter to Blue Jays games in the playoffs down the stretch because they had so many we're Rogers that sports like is a almost not an extension of the team, but you know, if anyone's going to cover that team properly, it's going to be Sportsnet. Yeah. And the fan wasn't even sending a reporter down at the end because they could just right. use TVs. Right. Yeah. So becoming a radio reporter was becoming less and less of a focus for me. And I thought I could do more with production. So I kind of had pushed that aside and I was never really interested in doing updates. I just, I just didn't like sitting at the desk and, and reading news for that. And the same thing with the, the Jay and Dan stuff for being on TV, that kind of melted away a little because I think update desks are kind of, it's tough to do a highlight show these days when everyone has, like, you have your laptop in front of you. If you want to see highlights after the game ends, yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to go on your phone, you're going to go on your iPad, you're going to go on your laptop, you're going to yeah. watch them there. You're, you're not going to wait for 11, 11. Yeah, you're not going to wait for the Raptors highlights that get buried until the second pack and sit through a commercial break. It's just not the same. Yeah. So... I stayed with production and then this was, they came to me, they asked me and they said, listen, like you just, you don't have a ton of reps on air and let's see how you sound as the third man behind, like the guy, the man behind the glass, kind of what I am on the Andrew Walker show right now where okay. it's, I'm not in the studio, but I'm on air a lot. I, I talk a lot on the show. So we did that at the beginning of free association and it was just kind of very apparent that, um, so who started on that show? It was me, Dave Zaram and Rob Wong. Okay. Rob, wasn't really interested in doing it um, when he it was it was pretty apparent from the very beginning that we all had an idea for the show and that when we were talking and we were doing the show that I was just on air a ton and it didn't make any sense that I was not doing the show with Dave and then we started doing demos like demo after demo of the show they didn't want to put us on air right away that wasn't the uh that's kind of always been the, the fans' mandate with stuff like that is that we had a – I think one of the first podcasts we had was European Football Weekly. Okay. Uh, with Dan Riccio, um, the TFC reporter for the yeah. Fan 590 and now a, a late-night radio host there in his own right and, and actually like a pretty promising one. They had done demos for quite a while before they got their show put together, and so that was kind of the template we were working off for a podcast. So I just started so – demos – just put online? Or no, they're, like they're not, no going nowhere. Like you do a demo, you talk about the Raptors, you talk about the NBA. We kind of flushed out the style of show we wanted to do. And both Dave and I kind of from the very beginning said we didn't want to do your typical sports podcast. We okay. were two guys without big names in the industry. And so f in order for it to be a success, it, it had to be different. 
and we had to tell stories, uh, basketball stories. And we both kind of shared a similar vision, and we, I don't know, we just kind of took off. I thought at first people doubted whether or not I could host the show, and, I mean, now it's my show. With <laughs> so... I mean, it it worked out. It worked out well. It was just it just kept growing, growing. We we ended up getting great guests. We got uh, nice. yeah. We've we've had Charles Oakley, Masai Jerry. <laughs> Bless Excuse you. Me, thank you. Um, we've had tons of guys from I don't know, Jalen Rose. I can't even think of all the names we've had. We've had tons of ridiculously good names, which has been amazing to me. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, a guy who my dad, <laughs> grew, you know, telling me like all these. I used to grow up living about the lore of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're talking to Isaiah Thomas about basketball and about the early Raptor years and yes, about right. the bad boy Pistons. It's really cool. So, yeah, Free Association came about originally as me as a producer, and then now I'm no longer the producer. It's Emil Delich who does a great job for us, and then Donovan Bennett is now my co-host. And it was a, it was a real fun run during the Raptors playoffs. I think nice. like we ended up getting a lot of burn, and I think the podcast is kind of exactly where we wanted it to be, which is something that's different. We've had really a lot of positive feedback about that, especially when they started putting on a radio. That was different. At the beginning, I was a little suspect of the radio thing because I never wanted to... Like, it's still a podcast first. Yeah. Um, the only difference is that now I definitely don't swear. <laughs> and, <laughs> now that you know what's going on and, radio. <laughs> and I also... We have, to, we have to edit it down, so sometimes I've heard it on radio before, yeah. and there will be parts cut out, and I'm like, I don't know if that was that seamless. That didn't sound so great, but it's... it's uh, it's gone really well. I'm I'm very happy with where it's at, and and Dave Zaram owes he deserves a lot of credit for it too. He was he is the NBA editor at the time. He wasn't the NBA editor. He was uh, I can't remember what his position was, but when he took over as the NBA editor at Sportsnet, his schedule became rather demanding, and it was pretty tough for him to do the show. Um, it happened right around the NBA All Star Weekend, and Donovan was always a guy that if it wasn't Dave that I wanted to do with him. And there was actually a time where I thought I was going to end up doing it by myself, but approach Donovan and this is a guy that does a million different things a multi-platform guy that does mm-hmm. um right he's a good writer he's been on t- television with Tim and Sid he's he's done radio stuff he's hosted radio shows now and he graciously accepted to do the show and and honestly I I couldn't have asked for something I was a little nervous when Dave was gone how the transition was going to go and Donovan has been awesome like I think we get along great we don't agree on anything which I think works. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, some people in the comment sections, it's funny, most of them have gone, I like that these guys don't agree, but there have been the odd, all these guys do is disagree with each other. But it's genuine, it's really not forced. We come in and we, we try to have a, just a simple discourse about what he thought about the game yeah. or what he thinks about this player, and it ends up becoming a total argument where it's, save it for the show, save it for the show. Just turn the mics on and let me and Donovan or Donovan and I have this out because that's really what it always is. The only thing we we both agree on, I think, is our favorite Destiny's Child song. I think that's the closest. Which is what? Say my name. I think we came. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's the only thing we. Uh, that is hilarious. And that we also came around on views, both of us. Uh, the first couple of times we listened to views, yeah. neither of us really liked it, but now you've come around. Yeah, it's grown on me. I think it's a. I think it's a good <laughs> album. Good albums tend to grow on you like that. that so. That's true. Yeah. Um, so let's talk basketball. Uh, is is this a dream? Season once in a lifetime season for for Golden State. I know it's not over. Yep. Um, but where does this rank in terms of best seasons ever? Regular season, you have to say it's the best. Yeah. I mean, you won the most games. Yeah. Period. The Bulls. I. I still believe the Bulls would beat them. Mm-hmm. I just th- I, I have a hard time fathoming. I think 
Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were both such good defenders that they would have been able to give the Splash Brothers real issues. Yeah. I think the Bulls were really deep, too. Like, dis- uh, It would have been really fun to watch Draymond Green and Dennis Rodman go head-to-head. Let's just put it that way. That mm-hmm. would have been great. But I think, yeah, best regular season so far. I think that I've been on record saying I think it's going to be five games with them and the Cavs. I just don't, I don't see how Cleveland defends them. And then if they put on their best defensive lineups, then they lack a lot of scoring, and I don't know how they can how they can score with Golden State. They're just they're just in a tough spot. I just don't think that they're they're up for it. But Golden State, I think it's a once in a lifetime season. I don't, I really don't see how anyone's going to win more than seventy three games. Like it's incredible this stuff. Like what did Golden State win out of the gate? Like 25, 20, yeah. 26 games. Like th- these are just incredible feats. Like you just. When are you going to see a team that has the two best shooters, the two best shooters, and who are better than anyone else we've ever seen before? And like I used to watch Ray Allen and think there's no That's possible right, yeah. way someone can shoot the ball better than Ray Allen. Yeah. There's just no way. And now you look at Ray Allen's numbers compared to Steph Curry, and they're laughable. Like Ray Allen couldn't shoot off the dribble like Steph Curry. He couldn't shoot off the dribble like Klay Thompson. So you've got the two best shooters of all time playing on the same team. You ended up with a second-round pick in Draymond Green that everyone slept on, has a chip on his shoulder like nobody's business, and it was one of the most And he versatile. can name every single player. Oh, it's incredible. You saw that video, eh? That's great. Jeez. I know. I, I forget my, like, my siblings' birthdays, <laughs> and this guy is like crushing out all 35 people that were drafted ahead of him. It's, it's incredible. So just to have this, this collection of players at one time and to have that amazing home court advantage they have, because let's be honest, when... When they start cooking up those three balls and, and they start to really run away from teams and Steph starts doing the, the, the jersey popping and Draymond starts yelling and they have that real swag about them, yeah, I think that their home crowd just eats it up and they just get on top of teams and it becomes this whirlwind of of passion in the building where it, it's just it's over. like it's, it's, They know it. The team knows it. The crowd knows it and it, and it demoralizes the opposing team. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you saw in game two with Cleveland where it was just like, it's over. This is over in the third quarter. You're not coming back. Our guys are hot. They're playing. They're on. And there's just nothing you can do about this. So yeah, once in a lifetime, special team. Uh, especially to come back against the Thunder down through. That was nuts. And I'm so happy because I grew up a Seattle Supersonics fan and I hate the Thunder with all my heart. <laughs> I would... <laughs> I would rather never see the Thunder win. If I had to trade, Thunder will never win or the Raptors. But, okay, the Thunder will win, but the Raptors will win too. I'd say no to that deal. I couldn't do it. And I, I, I really like the Raptors. Like, I'm a big fan of theirs. Yeah. But I, I hate the Thunder. They stole basketball from Seattle. So that was awesome. But, yeah, to come back from that, Clay Thompson's game six, I think, is one huh. that will kind of always remember the, the 11 three-pointers in a, in, a, right. in a playoff game. Shooting it from wherever he hit that one from like the logo there he loaded up from his hip just nuts so yeah an incredible comeback but also you got to attribute a little bit of a choke right you remember that hmm. game six the the thunder were up that's right they were up late i think they had an eight point lead with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter and, and golden state ran away with it okc's offense they started giving some shots to like roberson and stephen adams and kevin durant uh, there wasn't really no one was really moving off the ball and they were kind of forcing those tough shots OKC choked a little, and and Golden State's lucky because Scottie Pippen used to wear the the Bulls used to wear warm up shirts during the seventy two and ten season that said seventy two and ten ain't a thing if you get no ring, and I completely agree with that. If that seventy three win season would have happened to the Warriors, it would have been like the the New England Patriots in in 07, where you go sixteen and zero, and you lose. but you lose, yeah. and then all you're you're really known for is like the the win. 
the regular season record is almost like a bad thing because you just think of not getting over the hump, right? It's just a concert minder that, oh, yeah, you got that banner up there, 73 wins. That's nice. Those, those were great regular season wins. Great. Really great. But you lost, and everyone forever remembers you as what? A loser. That's all they yeah. ever remember you as. It's, it almost reminds me of, uh, of uh, the Spurs. Never the never number one team, but always it, it almost seemed that they were preparing for the playoffs. Yeah, I think that they were early, early, not pioneers, but to something to that effect where they rested players during the regular season. Yeah. They made sure that they got home court advantage or at least tried to in the first couple of rounds. But the regular season was never the focus. For them, it was making sure that their guys were healthy. It was making sure that their guys were rested so that they can peak. Like, let's be honest. And Kobe Bryant talked about this today or the other day. An 82-game regular season, is it's, it's too long. Like, you can't rest properly. These guys, there's been studies done of these players. They go through, they play, you know, they, they play 38 minutes a night, these star players, and then they have to get on a plane. And, and when you get on a plane, your body doesn't rest the same way. It doesn't heal no, the same way. Right. So you're traveling across country, you're traveling to different places, you're staying in hotels, you're eating food late, and then you're, you're going to bed at like, you know, four in the morning. That's why that Damari Carroll, Corey Joseph story was such a non-starter. It's like, these guys are awake at 2 a.m. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? They weren't gambling and smoking cigarettes in the <laughs> casino the night before. They were just walking through because they were awake. Who cares? But um, I think that these guys don't get the rest. They don't heal properly. It takes such a huge tax on their bodies that come playoff time, you know, they say it's not about sometimes who's the best team. It's about who's the healthiest. So the Spurs were always very cognizant, especially when their starters got older, the Tim yeah. Duncans, the Manus, the Parkers, that they weren't going to burn these guys out in the regular season. The Warriors have a little bit more of an advantage in terms of being able to chase that regular season win because, you know, they're a lot younger. <laughs> they have, there you, go. you know, Draymond Greens and a couple they're seasons. They're all millennials. In. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they're, so they're, they're, they're okay to have those extra mileage on the legs, but... When you're like LeBron James, like people always point to that. Well, the Raptors only won one less regular season game than the Cavs. They're pretty much the same. It's like no. they're not. LeBron James. It's a different thing. LeBron James wasn't trying to get 70 wins this season. He was yeah. just trying to lock up the one seed. That's their that's their main prerogative. So yeah, crazy year. Talking about LeBron, uh, it's it's been said on many a show that he lacks that quote unquote killer instinct uh, to take over a game, a la a Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, your thoughts. Well, there's only one MJ, and I think that it's uh, this isn't my thought. I've heard this before. I can't remember where, but the crazy thing about Michael Jordan is that he was the world's gr like he was the greatest athlete in the biggest competitor's body, which is something that what's, that's mm -hmm. what I, in my opinion, I heard that and I was like, yes, that's it. Like that's why there will never be another one. He was a guy that definitely was a more aggressive scorer than LeBron James. The thing about LeBron that I find funny and like I feel like it. It hurts him a little bit. Mm -hmm. LeBron James is the best passer, like the best. Not Steve Nash, not John Stockton. The best passer I've ever seen is LeBron James. So when people talk about he's not that aggressive, it's like, no, he's a basketball savant. He's a genius. He's not going to go to the basket every time and look for his shot because he knows that there's a guy in the corner that he can whip the ball to or that he can already see two passes away. He can kick it out to a guy who he knows is going to swing it to another guy for an even easier shot. So have there been times in LeBron's career, especially that first year in Miami, where he was too passive? Yes. I think the Mavericks ended up winning that first title against Miami the first year of the Heatles 
because LeBron James didn't take over and he was too passive and he wasn't at his best self. I think that title was really on him. But at the end of the day, the guy's been to six straight conference finals. He has two rings. He's playing. We're, we're talking about this could be one of the best teams, if not the best team in NBA history, and they lost two games at the toughest venue to play. I think people are way too hard on LeBron James. Everybody wants to see the next great thing, and everyone yeah. wants to compare greats to other greats, and they, and they want to see guys fulfill their potential. And Have there been times where LeBron James is too passive? 100%. I think that there are times where he just needs to lower his head and go to the basket because he's a freight train that when he decides, hey, like there's no rim protection in here, I'm just going to go to the basket and finish, that he can do it. But people make careers not off praising a guy constantly. There has to be, you know, we want to know that these guys are human and they, people like to point out flaws and, and people love to disparage the great ones. Even, you know, I mean, I'm sure I, I wasn't really around too much for the coverage of Michael Jordan. I was more of a kid watching the game and kind of falling in love with it. But I, I don't think that all the coverage of Michael Jordan was probably overly positive. There's probably sure, yeah. narratives of him being a selfish guy or, yeah. you know, especially when the, the casino and the gambling and the late night stuff came out. There was always that, uh, that that aspect of him, that a guy that, you know, might have been a little overly competitive or burnt out on or was a bad teammate that he was that he I remember the story of him and Pippen uh, killing Tony Kukoc because he was a hyped player. So just kind of having that killer instinct and taking it too far, punching his teammates uh, I think he punched Bill Cartwright. No, that's not right. He punched somebody else either way. So, I mean, it's always easy to say he's no Michael Jordan, but nobody's Michael Jordan. And LeBron James is is great for who he is. And, and I think that he's one of the greatest basketball players we've ever seen. He's the greatest passer I've ever seen. He's the freakiest athlete I think yeah. I've ever seen, period. Like, he's a six foot nine guy that, you know, runs crazy fast and is extremely strong and has finishing ability, shooting touch passing ability rebounds the ball well plays great defense he's a, he plays both ways like that's the thing why to me he's still a better basketball player than Steph Curry because you don't have to hide him on defense he's the focal point of your defense he's your best defensive player so yeah times a little too passive mostly greatest player on the planet has been for quite some time hmm. let's talk about the Raptors wrap this up um, dream season I think so so far, I mean, c- compared to the early days. So like, Yeah, yeah, up until now. But I think the dream season still has to be, let's shoot yeah. high. Let's hope that the Raptors can win a championship yeah. someday. I, I, think we, I think the Raptors accomplished more. They took, they took the city, if not the country, uh, on a ride very similar to what the Jays did. I think it happened really late, though. I think that after Game 3 is when the country really started to buy in. Hmm. Would you not kind of agree with that? Because of the last series? Yeah, so because that late, about eh? Cleveland. Well, they were kind of a disappointment against the Pacers. Everyone built that, shocking. myself included, was yeah. like, look at these Took two teams on paper. Games. The Raptors are build themselves all year as this better team. They added all these extra playoff performers. They added Corey Josephs, Bismack Biombo, Damari Carroll. Kyle Lowry got in shape. DeMar DeRozan added muscle and, and was had been a better player, had played his best season of his career. Yeah there was kind of this anticipation that they were going to roll through the first round. And so, you know, to be going to a game seven, especially the way they lost in game six and game four, they had to come back. Remember like crazy in game five of that series. Mm-hmm. That one of the like an awesome comeback. I, I truly believe it's going to be tough for the Raptors to replicate a comeback moment, quite like game five where Norman Powell, a second round yeah. pick rookie is carrying you to a comeback win. Crazy. So I think there was a bit of a letdown, a little bit of a malaise, and it was kind of like, okay, show me what you can do in the next round. And the one guy everybody was really loving the way that he was playing is Jonas Valanciunas. He got hurt. Yeah. People were starting to write off the Raptors. 
I don't think the country was that behind it. Like, not, I don't think if you went to Alberta for game three of the Miami game, that it's the main thing on in a bar. But I do think that game four against Cleveland, or especially game five when they went to Cleveland, even though it was a total beatdown, I think the first yeah. quarter, everyone was watching, everyone was paying attention at that point across the country. Toronto's always been passionate about their teams. Yeah. When Toronto's teams are going well, they get behind them. Like, yeah. that's evident. You look at the Raptors fans that, that filled up uh, Jurassic Park. It, that's insane. Like, that's not something that other markets do. No, that's, that's just so a, true. That's just a here thing. Yeah. And especially when you see it lined up the way that it was, Toronto has excellent fans. They get behind their team. I, I've never been so proud uh, to, be a, to be a guy that works in this, this marketplace and that covers the Raptors and, and talks about the Raptors when the crowd started chanting the We the North and, and cheering on the Raptors with a few minutes left to go in that, that Cleveland beatdown. And even LeBron James acknowledged that he that's never right. seen And it seemed genuine. Like That's not yeah. a forced thing that came out of LeBron James. That was a real genuine thing. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think that Toronto was always really behind them, although they were nervous, yeah. I think, through the first two rounds. But once they got into that third round against Cleveland and were able to even take two games, it was all gravy. And I think that it... It proved to everyone that Kyle Lowry belongs as one of the great all-stars of the league, one of the better point guards of the league, yeah. someone that, you know, even now, especially considering all the dropouts, deserves a look for Team USA. Like, that's a real mm. thing for him. That DeMar DeRozan is a is a real force at the two, that he's a guy that's going to get that, is, deserves that max contract, is a guy that people will probably want to stay in Toronto. That Jonas Valanciunas is more of a potential elite big man than people might have thought that he can really be a guy that is a focal point of an offense that really can take over a game on the offensive glass and finish around the basket. Did so, he get overshadowed because of uh, Bismack Biombo? I don't think so. I think Biz had a great run at the end and yeah. that people really people gra- people always in the city and in Canada gravitate to the blue collar guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy that goes in the trenches yeah. and does the dirty work, especially especially for a team that had no defensive presence at the rim True. basically for the last few years. Have Bismack come in there and, and play the way he did and, and to be that kind of team player who always gives his teammates credit and is a very honest interview and blocks shots and, and does the Usain Bolt thing off finishes and isn't the most talented offensive guy. Yeah. People fell in love with him, but I don't think it took away at all from basketball fans seeing what Jonas Valanciunas did in the first two rounds and, and seeing kind of the ceiling that he had. I, I think most rational fans would say you'd be crazy to let Jonas Valanciunas go in order to retain Bismack Biombo, regardless yeah. of how great Biz played. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Masai Ujiri, successful GM so far? Oh, big time. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, what have been his misses? True. Like, the guy, I made the argument earlier in the year. I think if you took the most important pieces from every sports team and you had to make basically a Mount Rushmore of guys. Oh, okay, let's, I'll put it differently, actually. If, you were, if this was an expansion draft and uh-huh. GMs and coaches and players were all up for grabs and you could only protect one guy, and I'm counting contracts here because ultimately players matter more than anything else and sure. having a superstar player matters more than anything else. But DeMar DeRozan is now on a... He doesn't have a deal. Kyle Lowry has one year left, and he's 30 years old. He's going to be a 31-year-old undersized point guard who's been great, but like realistically going forward. Jonas Valanciunas has been good, 24 years old, but the game is getting smaller. And he, we've seen that it's tough to keep big men on the floor against small ball lineups. And even yeah. Dwayne Casey at his press conference today addressing the need to figure out ways to play him more. If you could protect one asset from the Toronto Raptors, for my money, it's Masai Ujiri. 
I think he's special. I think he's one of the best three executives in basketball. I think he's a man with a true vision. He's intelligent. He knows the game. He's worked from nothing to get where he is today. And he's just basically, he's had a couple of gaffes here and there in the draft, but in terms of like signing NBA personnel, and people would look at the Damari Carroll signing and say, well, that guy got way too much money and he didn't perform up to what we thought he'd be in the playoffs. He's also really hurt. Like that guy was really dinged up when he went through the, the litany of injuries he suffered at the end of the year. It was astonishing to hear that basically every part of his body was falling <laughs> apart. And yet he was still such a tough player that he played through it all. I just, I look at the where the Raptors are right now in a position where they have to figure out how to get over the next step, how they go from being a good franchise yeah. to a championship franchise. And I think, who would you rather have? What executive would you rather have running the ship? And I, and I've, I really believe Masai Ujiri or R.C. Buford in, in San Antonio are, sure, would sure. be like my top choices to do this job. So having the ninth pick, a, a huge luxury that a franchise that – goes to an Eastern Conference final, rarely ever has. Uh, uh, their own pick that, that, that they're going to have later in the draft, they get 29. And then two more first-round picks next year, the DeRozan decision, the Lowry decision. I, I'm really glad they have Masai Ujiri at the helm. And, yeah. and I think that pretty much all of the moves he's made so far for the Raptors have been pretty, pretty well near the right ones. He got Bills McMillan for $3 million bucks. Yeah, That's true. what he did for the Raptors. Uh, so DeMar DeRozan, is, is it a afterthought that of course he signs a max contract. Yeah. And of course the Raptors offer him the max contract and he signs it. So I think it's interesting because I think if I think that the Raptors might want to at least talk to him and say, Hey, if you if you don't take this max, this is what we're gonna do with the money and we'll pay you close to or blah blah blah. But basically you get paid market value. I think he's obviously a max player. If he if he decided to leave Toronto, yeah, for example, a team like the Nets would happily, happily, happily pay DeMar DeRozan the max. There's a bunch of teams that would. Not everyone's going to be able to sign Kevin Durant this offseason. He's more like, most likely going to stay in OKC, if anything, on a one-and-one. He probably stays in OKC, and then there's all these teams that are going to have a ton of money, and there's only a couple of really good free agents this year. There's, you know, there's Al Horford, but he comes with a lot of injury question marks. But if you really want to look at a guy, DeMar DeRozan's going to be 27 years old, and he's a guy that can consistently give you 20 points a night, get to the free throw line, and... You know what? He's got to get better at the defensive end, and he's probably got to work on his three-point shot because you're limited as a two-guard that can't shoot the three. But in this climate, in this era, he's a max player, yeah. period. And I think that the interesting thing for the Raptors is how do you better spend the money? You could convince me. If you want to tell me, you know what? I think that you can distribute DeMar Rosen's touches in between Jonas Valanciunas and between uh, some of the guys they have here and maybe a guy that they bring in that can that can that can score you 15 a night. You could I won't say you're crazy. I'll say that that's a fine opinion to have. But if you look at the postseason, especially those Cleveland games, it's like mm-hmm. who is scoring for Toronto? Yeah. And I know Valanciunas was hurt at the end, but it's like Lowry or DeRozan or it was nobody. So it's hard for me to really think of how they don't take a step backwards if they lose DeRozan because there's no other person to replace. Right. Him. And and culture and continuity, those are buzzwords that have been flying around a lot in this city. Yeah. And normally, I honestly think that those things are a little overrated. I think talent overall is the most important thing. But for the Raptors, for a franchise that has seen star after star that couldn't wait to get out of here, yeah, to have a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who was drafted here, who grew here, who became an all-star here, say, this is where I want to be, and he's willing to stay here, and he hopes to stay here, 
I think that that's important, mm. and I think that means even a little bit more. I think that that he actually increases his value to Toronto. Yeah, hometown hero Corey Joseph. Your thoughts on his season? I mean, you can't really be anything but pleased. I think he was better than just about everyone thought yeah. when they first gave him that deal. I was pretty suspect of it. I thought that they gave a Canadian kid too much money, but just because he was Canadian, or? part of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, is that a thing? Is that really true? Like what, in Toronto that, sports, especially with the Jays and the Raptors, I think that, that signing a, a Canadian is an important thing. Yeah, and I think it matters though too. Is that like if you're sitting there with a casual basketball fan? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to deviate so much from the plan that you're signing guys that aren't good. Sure, but I think that if you can sit down and tell someone like you're watching a game, and you go, "Oh, he's Canadian," and they go, "Really?" Doesn't that always pique your interest as a Canadian when it's another Canadian that's doing a sport? Like I think of, I wasn't into UFC at all. Sure. Like I didn't, I couldn't have cared any less about it. To <laughs> me, it was like I was like people used to show me highlights. And I'm like, I don't care about this. This is insane. Then George St. Pierre came along, and now I'm a UFC fan for life. Yeah. Because a Canadian was awesome at it, and I cheered him on. He's yeah. great. I love George St. Pierre. If George St. <laughs> Pierre, like I don't know, he could basically sell me on anything. He would have a product. He endorses it. I'm buying that tomorrow. That's how important he is to me. So I think having Canadians look at tennis even like I don't I'm not a tennis sure. fan but Milos is playing in a major in a major match I'm watching it I'm disappointed Jeannie Bouchard is not better even though I could not care less about yeah. tennis so I think it's important to have Canadians uh, on your team when you can get them but I really did think that he was signed primarily because of a Canadian mm-hmm. but he had a fantastic season he's an, he's one of the league's premier defensive guards I think with the importance the added importance of guard play now in the NBA. And you, you see this now with just like even the Golden State Warriors. How much could a team like Cleveland use a guy like Corey Joseph to throw at, to throw at Steph Curry for a few minutes? It would be invaluable to them. He's a, another guy that needs to develop, a, I think, a bit more of a consistent shot, especially from three, because it limits you when you have guards that don't space the floor for you. But Corey Joseph was way, way better than what I expected when the Raptors signed this offseason. And I, and I only think that he has room to go up from here. Hmm. Is 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 the are the Raptors, the players of the Raptors that we saw, um, good enough to win a title? No, I wasn't going to ask that because I I think it's obvious. Yeah, like it's to me it's obvious. obvious. Yeah, but they next don't have LeBron year, James. But next year because they don't have LeBron. James. Oh, yeah, or LeBron James plays in our division. Yeah, they, in our he, conference. He, if you don't have LeBron James in the Eastern Conference right now, you're not going to the NBA Finals. So does period. LeBron? Wait, okay, let me ask you this: Does LeBron James stay in Cleveland? Yeah, for sure. There's no question. Yeah, think about how his image would be if he left again. Does It'd be uh, insane. Is is the Raptors line? I don't the think same? Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving, one of those two guys, is gone though. If they if they yeah. lose in five games, oh yeah, there's no chance that they're bringing back all those guys. Does um, is the Raptors line up the same next year? Well, no, because I don't think they'll have Bismack Biombo. I I don't consider him in the lineup. He's sort of like a late addition, that sort of came like not a late addition. So do you mean like the is the core the same? The core, like, do they keep yeah. Demar Derozan. Do they keep Kyle Lowry? Do they? Yeah. Keep, yeah, I think that most. I think the guys are mostly the same. I I a lot of people speculate that. Masai Ujiri is going to swing for the fences this offseason. That he's really going to try to shake things up with the team. That he's really going to look to to make a big trade. But I, I just look at the roster and I'm just like, okay, what's the real trade you can make? I could see them maybe moving Terrence Ross. That's mm-hmm. a guy that I could see them trying to trade. But again, the Raptors are really kind of in dire need of shooting. Like That's the one thing they were really missing. In the playoffs against Cleveland, I kept saying the only way to kind of equalize yourself against better teams is, th- is through the three ball, is be able to hit the three-point shot. And the Raptors don't really have a ton of guys that can do that, like Kyle Lowry, Terrence Ross, and Damari Carroll. Those are their three best guys. Patrick Patterson, like a, a four, and, and Louis Scola at one point was one of the guys you wanted the Raptors taking threes. So yeah. 
I mean, I think the roster is going to come back mostly the same next year. They do have that luxury of the ninth pick. I think that there are some guys there that have some decent ceilings that they could that they could end up within that pick. And honestly, the history of the nine pick is pretty fantastic. That's where they got DeRozan at. They got DeRozan with the ninth pick. So yeah, fair enough. Maybe they hit on that ninth pick. Maybe they trade all those. Is things. it a deep enough draft? I don't think it's 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 a top two draft for sure. And then there's probably about. There's a few guys that'll go. I think it's you always look at drafts in tiers. So there's a top tier with Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram, the top two picks in this year's class. Anyone would love to have those guys. They have they have superstar potential in the league. And then there's a couple of guys I think that have all star potential. And then there's a couple of guys that could go either way, boomer bust picks. Yeah. But I think where the Raptors are is is in a pretty comfortable spot. That there's going to be a couple of guys there that they can. There's a few that could help them more now, which might be what they need. Someone like the kid out of Utah, the center, Jakob Podol, who's a seven-foot kid that might be able to fill in behind Bismack Biombo and, and provide them with a little bit of shooting and a little bit of rebounding, come off the bench, be able to play right away. Or they end up in a spot where they take a guy like Marcus Chris out of Washington or Scalabissier out of Kentucky, fours that can shoot the ball but are raw and haven't played for a long time and, and that have higher ceilings and they're really shooting for more of like a – in the, in the vein of a, a Bruno pick, where they're going for a guy that they think has superstar potential. So, Down the road, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked, let's say, if the Raptors shuffled things up, but I would say if I was a betting man, right yeah. now I see you see the core, and I think you see the nine pick in, in training camp next year at media day. Interesting. Any Canadians that we should be watching out for in the draft? Jamal Murray. Yeah? Yeah, the kid out of Kentucky, the, the guard. He's going to be really interesting. There's a lot to really like about him. He's an excellent three-point shooter. He's got a nose for the bucket. He's going to have to – people don't really know whether he's a two-guard or, or a point guard right now, but some people could argue, you know, they don't know that about Russell Westbrook either, and it doesn't seem to be really hurting him too much. But Jamal Murray's like a scorer. He's a guy that's going to be able to hit the three. I really like Murray. I wonder how he's going to adapt to the athleticism of the NBA, but I do think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be at least at worst in his career, a guy that's going to be able to come off the bench and provide you with a scoring lift. So he'll probably go before the Raptors pick. Sure. I, I would think that the farthest he would fall would be New Orleans at six. I'm curious if the, if the Raptors are thinking of trading up. Like, is there a way to trade up from nine? Uh, and is it worth it? I, I don't know if they trade up because, I mean, it would be worth it if they could – I mean, it would be nice to see Murray in a Raptors uniform and then say that the future was going to be two Canadian point guards. It'd be pretty interesting to see. But it'd be... I don't really know what the other teams ahead of them would want from Toronto that makes sense for both teams. Like I said, so the Raptors obviously might dangle Terrence Ross. I don't think if you're, say, New Orleans and you're in the sixth spot and you can take Murray, that you're more interested in taking nine in Terrence Ross or nine in the 29th pick that the Raptors have at the end of the draft where, you know, it's pretty tough to get anything to, to, to hit on those picks. Sure, you know, there's sure. not like as much as we'd like to praise Draymond Green for being back there. There's a reason it's such a story, and that's because they rarely happen. Like uh, off the top of my head, you know, good second round pick, like all-star second round picks. There's Isaiah Thomas and there's Draymond Green that I can think of, like uh, the Celtics guard off the top of my head. So I, I think that it'd be really tough for the Raptors to, to move up in this draft without parting with assets that they really covet, that they really wouldn't want to get rid of. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate it, now. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, J.D. Man, it was my pleasure. Appreciate it. Talk to your ear off. Yeah, which was fine. Yeah, was okay. <laughs> the beer was good? Yeah, it was fantastic. Goose Island.